0: Okay? All of those powerful images of a king are uh, something to spark our conversation in this message today because what you look at until you see the picture of Christ is something that's so profoundly different from what a kingdom that Jesus is in charge of looks like and so profoundly different from a king who is like Jesus and how he acts. And today, that's where we're going to... We're going to lead, uh, particularly on one, one topic. And um, ironically, we, we did our messaging and our announcements today from the control room. And what I wanna land us with today is, is a, a little bit of some thoughts on control and the kingdom of God. Um, there are certain things in Christianity that can be understood from the outside before you have become a Christian. You can look on the outside. You can say, I think I get these pieces, and maybe those pieces that you hear about or you understand or you contemplate or you experience to a level draw you in or potentially they push you away. Um, but there are great many things that cannot be understood until after you have gone a certain distance along the Christian road. C.S. Lewis said that. There are, th- there are some things you can understand from the outside looking in. But there is a great deal of many new things that are almost impossible to understand until you start walking down the road of following Christ. And walking down the road to following Christ, uh, some would argue, and I think it's pretty clear, is probably not what you thought it would be when you first started out. And when you start walking down the road and you're following Jesus, and it starts to take on different shapes and different realities and different attitudes and different behaviors and different challenges, those particular things, if you knew them at the beginning, you may not have taken the first step. Some of them are very hard. At the same time, some of the things you learn on the journey following Christ are so incredibly beautiful and so um, almost shocking at how wonderful they are and how much more rich they are than you ever fathomed that you're so thankful you took the first steps in the the first place. All that to say, there's a piece of what it looks like to follow Christ that is really hard to fully comprehend until you really get to know Christ and until you really start to follow him in a new way. In this series, we're talking about a very simple concept to understand, but a very difficult thing to wrap up. Uh, our hands around to really do. And that is, it's easy to say that Jesus is the king. It's easy to say that he has ultimate authority. It's easy to say that he's in charge and we're not. It's easy to say that what he cares about, we should care about. Uh, The first two weeks of this series were like this. The good news is that Jesus is the king. It's not just that when you die, you may you know, raise from the dead or you go to heaven when you die or you have eternal life or you get salvation. It's first and foremost that Jesus is a king, that he loves us, that he's in control, that who he is, regardless of who you are or what he is, that that is good news, that we have the maker of heaven and earth who is in authority and is the king of the world. That, that is just good to know. The one who loves, the one who gives, the one who made, he's in charge. And then last week, what we looked at is that he has specific things he cares about. And when he lays out what he cares about, he's doing that to help us understand what we should care about. Because the kingdom that he's leading is different than the kingdoms that we're involved in here on earth. And ultimately, he cares about a lot of stuff that we don't naturally care about. And when you boil that down, it, it looks like he cares about people, really, cares about people, really puts other people's thoughts, intentions, needs, desires, life in front of his own. Really, truly does that. And to say that is simple. But to do that is incredibly difficult. You may go your entire life and actually never lay down your life or give up your rights or actually let what God cares about shape what you care about. And that's what we said last week is God's compassion should be our compass. The direction that we go in life should be, what does God say it matters? And then we should go in that direction. That means we care about people. And you spend all of your life and you look at the scriptures for a long, long time, going, God, show me how to love people. Show me how to actually consider other people. Show me to come from a place of, of good motives, even. A professor asked his students one time, he said, there's a woman who's elderly and in great need, and she needed some help one day carrying something from her car to her house. And you're walking on the street and you see this woman in need, and you make the decision to help her. Why? Why do you make the decision to help her? And some students answered and said, well, because I want to make sure that if there's a person in need, that I'm the kind of person that would help someone who's in need. That I I don't wanna be viewed as someone who doesn't do my uh, appropriate duty, behave as a good citizen, act in a manner that is loving and good. And that was one answer. And then another set of students said uh, the reason that they did it um, was because they looked at the woman, they thought about her needs, they thought about her challenges, they thought about the pain that she's going through, they thought about her fumbling through that, they thought about her not being able to accomplish what she wanted to, and they were motivated to actually make that person's life better. And in the simple answer to that question is the profound difference between basically human earthly morality and Christian fellowship of Jesus following Christ. Because your motive matters. Why we love is marked and should be marked by Christ. It is one thing to look like we are doing the right thing. It is another thing to do the right thing because we care so much about people. We want to improve their lives. We're not thinking, what will I look like if I don't do the right thing? We're thinking, how will their life be improved or hurt if I get involved or don't. And, and as we sit in here today and you think about followership of Christ and you think about God's compassion being our compass, I want you to really take the time to ask what moves you. Uh, the, the, the scriptures say that motives matter. Motives matter. At the heart of the human condition is a heart problem. Is a problem of, of of evil and and waywardness and and idolatry, worshiping the wrong things, uh, caring about ourselves, seeking out our own interests before others. Everything we do, or touch, being tainted by selfishness or pride or arrogance or or whatever it is, greed, at the heart of the Christian. Uh, message is that Jesus, his intention from the Old Testament through the life of Christ, death, burial, and resurrection is to transform us from the inside out, is to actually take our wicked, nasty hearts and turn them into hearts that actually beat. They become clean and they start to move in the right direction. And so your heart that is changed by Christ becomes the new lens with which you look at the world through. And that is I exist now to care for others. I, I care for other people. I think about their needs. I just, I'm just wired that way because Christ rewired me that way. He gave up his life for me. He put, he put my interest ahead of his. So now just the way that my heart sits in me because of the gift of the Spirit, I just look at people and I wanna to try to help. Now, it doesn't mean you don't work at it and it doesn't mean you don't practice and it doesn't mean that you just have to wait for it to happen naturally. That's a, that's a combination of effort and the Holy Spirit that transforms us to actually see people and care about their needs. But we have to Move in the direction, motive matters. The scriptures say a man's ways seem right in his own eyes, but God knows his motives. And so when you wanna fully follow Christ, you have to be fully aware of your motives on the inside. And you have to take your motives to God and you have to say, God, I actually, in honesty, and this is what most of the prayers look like, I actually wanna, David, I wanna kill my enemies, I I wanna defend myself, I wanna be right, I wanna win the battle, that's actually what I feel. But God, my motives are wrong. I know that I'm wicked, I know that I'm evil, I know that I'm prideful, I know that I wanna fight to get my way. So God, create in me a clean heart Help me see the world the way that you want me to see the world, so that you see people and their needs, and help me become a different type of human. And that's that's kind of the beginning of God's compassion should be our compass. And the beauty of the life of Christ, as it's told in the, the gospel message, is we get to look at Jesus' compassion. We get to look at his life. We get to look at the things he cared about. We get to look at the stuff that mattered to him. And when we think about he's the king, and we think about what he cares about should become our compass, then we can start to be adjusted. We can start to have our hearts and our minds aligned to something new. I told you guys uh, week one that I was gonna talk about pigs, and then I said I was gonna talk about pigs week two, and I didn't get to the pigs. So today, we're talking about pigs. Pigs. We're talking about the piggy today, all right? And so I want to take you to a passage of Scripture where this, this picture of who Christ is and our fellowship of him and what it means for him to be the king really starts to galvanize and take shape. When we're reading this passage, remember that Jesus is the king. He is the author. He has authority, like we talked about last week. And what you're going to see in this passage is another piece, which I've already talked about, is that he has ultimate control. He has ultimate control of what is going on. And what he chooses to do with that control is the part that sets him apart from all the other kings of the world, and especially from you and me. So in Matthew chapter 8, verse 28 through 34, we, we see this little passage. But walking into it, Um, what you're seeing is that Matthew is trying to communicate very, very clearly that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the Messiah, the Messiah, the promised deliverer of Israel, the one who would embody all of the prophecies, all of the promises, all of the truth, and bring justice and goodness to the world. The, The Israelite people believed that the Messiah would come and be their king, and that he would make a wrong world start to move in the right direction. So when you think about an author like Matthew, who was a follower of Jesus, talking about Jesus as a king, now that he knows he's resurrected from the dead, he's telling you, I want you to know that he's a king, but I'm gonna use this story about pigs to show you what kind of king he is. He, he's not the kind of king that you thought he was. He's different, but he is the king. He has the same ideas, authority. He has all the power. He does have control, but the way that he manages the world is probably different than a lot of kings you've ever seen before. I want you to sh- see how this Jesus king is superior to all other kings. Before we walk into the story about pigs, Jesus has been on a boat, And there's a storm, and the disciples get really, really scared. And then Jesus tells the wind and the waves to stop. And at the end of that story, the disciples ask, who is this man? Who is this man that the wind and the waves obey him? Who is the man? And they don't answer. No one answers. Jesus doesn't answer. The next passage, Matthew starts to answer the question, through a pig story about who this man really is. So here's what happens. He, le- he leaves the sea. When he arrived at the other side of the region of Gadarnas, two demon possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God? They shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demons begged Jesus. They begged him. If you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs, he said to them. Go. So they came out and went into the pigs. And the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. What a scene those tending the pigs ran off. That's what I would do. I would run off. Uh, run off, he, he went and run off, what's that, uh, that movie? I'm sorry, I'm forgetting the reference, but they, they ran off is what they did. R-U-N-O-F-T, they run off and went into the town and reported all of this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. So they go in, they say what happened to the pigs, They say what happened to the demon-possessed men. Very important. Matthew wants you to see that. They go in, they report. These are the shepherds of the the, the farmers of the pigs. They go into everybody. They say, the pigs ran down the side of a hill and drowned themselves. All of them died. The two demon-possessed men that were on the road that no one could pass and they were scaring everybody. They were so violent. They were hurting people. Um, The implication is the demons left them and they're fine. So here's what happens, tells the whole story. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus, hyperbolic, not the whole town, but essentially the whole town went out there. And when they saw him, what did they do? They pleaded with him to leave their region. He pleaded, leave. He heals two demon-possessed men whose lives are at stake, who are putting other people's lives at stake. And the pigs run off into the water and there is a certain uh, deficit that comes with losing pigs, especially in an agrarian society, of course. They need the pigs. Um, they need them for certain things, uh, but uh, it's part of farming. But they're, they're not eating them, but they're, they're using them. They're part of it and they, they matter. And so they care more about the pigs than the men. And so because they lose something of monetary value or of kind of a, a agricultural value, they come out to Jesus and say, we care more about the pigs than the men. You killed the pigs, so we want you to leave. We want you to leave. Now the beauty of this story is, is bigger than just what you read in the passage because the author is putting together a masterpiece of showing you who Jesus is what's happened with the wind and the waves is Jesus is calming the waters at first he's calming the waters he's calming the wind he's calming the the kind of natural order of things he moves into this next story of pigs to calming souls and so what the author is trying to tell you is that Jesus can calm your soul Jesus can bring you peace Jesus is the one who has the power over the wind and the waves, and he also has the power over your thoughts. He also has the power over your intentions. He also has the power over you as a human. Jesus displays his muscularity spiritually by driving the wind and the waves to calmness, and then he displays it even more by taking two violent wind and waves of people and causing them to settle. Interestingly enough, they ask who Jesus is after the wind and the waves are settled, and the first people to call Jesus the Son of God in the book of Matthew are two demons. Later on, Leaders call him the son of God. The disciples will eventually call him the son of God. But Matthew wants to show you that when the question is asked, who is this man that can make the wind and the waves go calm, he also casts out the wind and the waves of human souls. He calms them down. The answer is given first and foremost by some type of demonic spiritual force that without any introduction without any setup, walks in and sees Jesus, and they say, that is the Son of God. Now, when they proclaimed him to be the Son of God, it is in no uncertain terms them saying, Jesus is the Messiah, which is the same thing as saying, Jesus is the King. The two demon-possessed men say, King, you're the King. We know you can calm the wind and the waves, and we know you can destroy us, Throw us into the pigs. Matthew is using this picture of him helping these demon-possessed men to show you and me that Jesus is all-powerful. He has the power over the wind. He has the power over the waves. He has the power over your soul. He has the power over emotion. He is all-powerful, and he is the Messiah. He is the king. And another way to put it is this, Jesus has total control, total control. Not a little bit of control, not some control. Anybody uh, experienced the wind storm this, this week? Wouldn't it be nice to just, please stop, and the wind stops. Anybody have anyone that's sick in their life? Wouldn't it be nice to walk to them and say, You're healed, you're done, it's over? Jesus has total control of everything. This is a concept and a reality that cannot stay esoteric, it has to move into the day to day of our lives. It cannot remain a concept. It actually has to be something that we grab a hold of as we understand Jesus has total control. Control the wind and the waves. Control the spiritual forces. Control of physical things, spiritual things, natural things, supernatural things. Jesus Christ is the king, and he has the power, and he has control. Have you ever played the game, what would you do if you were We play this game, my my kids will ask me questions. You know, if you could be what kind of uh, a superhero, what kind of superhero would you be? The question is, what would you do if you had all the power? What would you do? Right? That's a fun thing to play. Jesus has all of the power. Look what he does. That's amazing. Because if you start to ask the question, what would I do if I had all the power? My, my son, Jet, he is really into sports, and he studies, like, he knows, like, people from the 60s and the 70s. And he studies the basketball players and the football players and, like, Pistol Pete Maravich. He knows, like, these players. He knows all these different names and stuff. And the other day, he, he was staying in the shower, and he always said, Dad, come here, I have a question. Okay, what? He's like, if you could be any three football players combined into one football player who would you be I was just like dude I don't know I mean that's a that's a big he goes I know who I would be he says I would be Jerry Rice Emmett Smith and Lawrence Taylor and I was like and you would be the man He's like, oh, if I did that, he's like, I would play football my whole life. I'd be the best football player ever. No one would be able to stop me because Emmitt Smith's one of the best running backs, arguably. And Jerry Rice is, like, the best football player ever. And Lawrence Taylor is one of the best defenders. I mean, if I was all that in one, I would be the best football player ever. And I'm like, you would. And that's what we all would do. What would you do if you could be a superhero? What power would you have? And the fun part about... Imagining the kind of superhero you might be is not just what you would say, but what you would do with that power. You know, what would you do? I remember growing up, I wanted so bad to be able to stop time. Guess why? I wanted to sleep in. You think about it, right? When we think about power, what do we think about what we can do for ourselves? If I could stop time, oh, I'd stop it right at six in the morning, sleep the equivalent of another four and a half hours, start it once I'm fresh and go to high school and annoy everybody with my energy level. (laughs) I mean, if you could fly, I remember wanting to fly. Oh, if I could fly, why would I wanna fly? Then I don't have to drive. I can go as the Joel flies. The crow flies, I can go in a straight line, I can get there right away, I can fly. When we think about power, our mind goes towards what we would do if we had it. And typically what it does is it moves towards what we would do to improve our lives. Jesus Christ had all the power. He has all the power, he has all the control, he has all the authority, he has all of it. And his choice, when asked what would you do if you had all the power, was to give it up. To give it up. Now that is the craziest thing I've ever heard. If someone gave me the ability to fly, I'd be flying all over the place. Jesus had all the power. He had all the control. And he used it for our improvement. That alone is a reason to follow him. Someone who has it all and gives it all up for you. This is what happens to the person who starts to follow Christ. They start to be transformed. They start to care about other people. They start to have their, the compassion and the needs of others. They just start to resonate. They just start to move. I mean, Jesus, all the power, all the control, he surrenders it. So that you and I can have something of a benefit from his loss. Towards the end of Jesus' life, before he he is crucified, he ends up back in a garden. You know, he spends time in gardens, and then he ends up back in a garden, and the Genesis narrative starts in a garden, Then Jesus goes to a garden. And after Jesus has had his last supper, he goes to this garden of Gethsemane, and he prays. And this is where Judas, if you don't know the story, Judas has gone to get the leaders of the, the Jewish kind of revolt against Jesus, the leaders, the high priest and the guards, the temple guards, and they, they go to get Jesus and, and they're coming to, to, to take him away and arrest him. And they come with swords and they come with torches and they come with clubs and they come to arrest Jesus. And Judas walks up to Jesus and he's told the people there that he'll, he'll kiss the person who Jesus is in the dark, so he kisses, this is the kiss of death. The kiss of death, and it wasn't a kiss of death for Jesus, it was a kiss of death for Judas. Because to betray the Son of God is is the highest, treasonous, most awful thing you could do, but he kisses Jesus. And then the temple guards, they start to attack Jesus, they start to grab Jesus, they start to arrest Jesus. And it says in the text that Peter who has spent three years with Jesus, learning what it looks like to follow the, the, the Lord Christ on earth, learning what it looks like to actually, you know, be God in a body. He, he's around him all the time. When this moment happens, there's a seizing of control. Something seems like it's going wrong. Things are bad. Something's out of control. It all starts to get crazy. And what Peter does, if you read the text, is he picks up a sword. He rips a sword away from one of the guards, and he... Slices one of their ears off. He slices one of their ears off. And Jesus tells him to stop. And he says this in Matthew 26, 52 through 53. He says, Put your sword back in its place. Jesus said to him, For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Live by the sword, die by the sword. Then he says this. This is, this is what I want. You, you, you just see in a new way. Do you think I cannot call on my Father and He will at once put at my disposal 12 legions of angels? What Jesus says to him is, he goes, Do you think that I don't have control? Like, do you think that like, this is happening to me and like I couldn't? I mean, you grab a sword because you're trying to take control. You don't think that I have control? In this conversation with Peter, he says, Put the sword away. You don't think that I could grab the sword if I wanted to grab the sword? I can grab armies. I could grab, don't you remember the pigs? Don't you remember the wind and the waves? I have control. I'm not here to lead as a king the way that your kings lead. I'm not here to use tor- like torches and swords and clubs and that's not how I'm leading. I could do that because I have all the authority, but with all of my authority, I am going to lead a different way. I'm leading with everybody's heart on my mind. I'm leading with what actually needs to be done. I'm going to surrender my control. I'm going to surrender my authority, my power. I'm not going to pick up the sword and fight the way that you guys fight. I'm gonna fight a different battle, and it's a spiritual battle, and it's one through losing, it's won through sacrifice. I win by laying down my life. I actually win what the biggest problem is that you have and I have that heart problem. The thing that made you grab the sword is what I will defeat by having you put your sword away. I will lay down my life and disarm the powers of evil and darkness through my sacrificial gift. You see, what Jesus does is, Jesus lets go of control to give love. King Jesus lets go of control to give love. He says, I'm not gonna control it. I'm not gonna control this situation. I'm going to give something. And it's going to be sacrificial. It's going to be intentional. It's going to be for you. You see, you cannot love and have control be the motivation. As soon as control is the motivation, it's not love. So my challenge to us as we look at the king and we take on the attributes of the king is this. Instead of taking control, give love. Instead of taking control, give yourself. Sacrifice. Now, we opened up this series with the picture in the bumper shows Jesus getting baptized. It's amazing picture of the author saying, Jesus is the king. And we talked about how that, that moment And the words that are used in the text reference Old Testament passages in Isaiah and Psalm that are directly connected to the proclamation of Jesus as king. This is my son whom I'm well pleased. So what you have is you have, as Jesus is being baptized, you have him raising up out of the water and being pronounced by the the dove that is descending on him as a spirit that this is the Messiah, this is the king. The beautiful picture of that is that what you have in the scene when Jesus is being baptized is you have Jesus in the water. You have the Father speaking in a loud voice. This is my Son, whom I am well pleased. And you have the Spirit falling on Him like a dove. The three persons of the Trinity. If you grew up in the church, you understand that God is three unique persons that operate in Full connection and unity, and ultimately in love. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Different persons, all equally God, different manifestations. Very, very rich theologically. Different, different uh, analogies have been used throughout years to try to explain the Trinity. An egg, you know, the shell, the yolk, the white, water, frozen, va- vapor, you know, uh, um, or boi- whatever, frozen. Vapor, regular. <laughs> Different forms, the same thing. Very difficult to understand the Trinity. But what, what I want you to see is that when God announces Jesus as king... You have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit there. From that moment, Jesus moves forward with all authority and all power and with all control. And what he does as he moves forward is he surrenders his control and he gives love. He calms the wind and the waves. He drives out the demons. He heals the lepers. He raises from the dead. That's the way that he leads as king. In in Genesis we see a picture of all three of the, tri- the Trinity present. The scriptures tell us that when God created the world, it says that we made in our image. And in, and in Genesis, what you have is you have God the Father, and then you have, because of the we, God the Son. And Jesus says later, he was there at the creation of the world. And then in ancient Hebrew translations, It says that when the water was there on the first earth, it says that the spirit was hovering. And one of the original translations, it says fluttering, fluttering. So the idea is that you have this fluttering spirit of God, like the dove that is then later shown when Jesus is being baptized. So you have the Trinity. At Jesus' announcement of king, you have the Trinity at the creation of the world. And what you see in the Trinity is you see God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit in a perfect relationship existing to give love to each other. To give love where there's no lack, all love. One loves the other, the other loves the one, they are together, they 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 care for one another. So the question becomes: why would a God who already has relationship with himself, with, with the Father, with the Spirit, the Spirit with the Son, the Son with the why would a God who has this perfect relationship with himself and is all like formed and shaped and exists and manifests in love, why would he create? a bunch of people who even have the option to not love. And the answer is because God, in his giving of love to himself and his relationship with the different parts of his person, he desires to give it more. We have a God who wants to give you the love that he experiences in his relationship with himself, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. All they do is love one another. And he created us to go, whether they love me or not, I didn't create them to get love. I already have love. I got all the love I need. I created you so that I can give it. God created us to give us love. God created us to show us love. Not to have control not to make us do everything he wanted us to do, to show us that he is love. To just give it, 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 and then when when, when we reject him, what is his answer, love. The king is this ultimate provider of love. Control is really about fear really about fear. When you want to control everything, you want to control people, you want to control the circumstances. Every one of us has something going on in our life right now that we are living in fear. We're afraid. Afraid of getting sick. Afraid of losing jobs. Afraid of getting quarantined. Afraid of a conversation. Afraid of election results. Afraid living in fear. We're afraid. And Control is about fear. So when something really scares us, our reaction is, oh, i our control. What am I gonna control? I gotta control this part of my life. I gotta control that part of my life. What can I actually get my hands on and make sure that I've got it within reach so that it doesn't flip out and ru- ruin my life? I want you to ask yourself right now, what are you afraid of? Really, I want you to answer it in your mind. I want you to articulate what you're afraid of. Because in in doing that, you will start to see the areas where you're trying to take control. And in all the areas that you're trying to take control, you are eclipsing your ability and the possibility of giving love. Because when you are grappling for you and you are grappling for control, it is very difficult to give love. You wanna take control of your life. And here's the reality about control. Our lives need control. They're out of control. So yes, we need something to control our life, but the question is, who are you going to give control of your life? Who are you gonna, who's gonna be the one that has control? Is it you? Is it them? Is it him? You see, I was talking to John McCambridge about this, and one of the wonderful things he said is, you can't have control and have God. You can't say, Oh, I'm gonna have control of my life, but I'm also gonna bring God into the picture. You see, you wanting to have control is, in a sense, idolatry. It's, I'm God. I have control. The God who had all control gave up all control and chose love. He let it go. He didn't try to make us do anything. He just decided what he was gonna do. He didn't live in fear of of dying or let it control his life. He said, I'm gonna let dying be my motivation so that it blesses you. Who are you gonna let have control of your life? You can pick God and you can give him control. You can give the man who has control over the demons, you can give the man who has control over the wind and waves complete control of your life. And I would imagine that he'll do better with it than you will. The King Jesus, he gives up control to give love. Instead of taking control, give love. Instead of taking control, give love. Let your focus be the focus of the king, who instead of fixing everything the way he wanted it to be here, he let it go and just gave himself. He laid down his life. Bob Goff said this most of the things Jesus asked his friends to do were simple. But they weren't easy. He told them to drop their plans because he had new ones for them. And it meant they had to give up being in charge. They had to let go of their need to be in control. You know, the only thing I found that can actually satisfy the grip of my hand as a human for control is giving love. Jesus is the King. This may be the first time I've done a series where I completely misjudged uh, the length. Three weeks on the King. I mean, we are just skimming the surface. Jesus is King, He has ultimate authority, He has ultimate control, and He displays that through self giving. Love. Let go of control and give love. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for showing us that your way is so different than the way here on earth. Those of us that might think that we have to pick up a sword, that that's gonna help us. The sword represents fear. And God, you've given us all we need and more. You've given us practical daily wisdom for living life here on earth, to to make life beautiful and, and, and righteous, more healthy to the best of our ability. You've given us hope in the midst of darkness, when things get really bad and people get sick or things fall apart, you've given us a light, a real light, a hope, a joy that exists in the midst of the darkness, you illuminate it all. And Father, you've given us an eternal promise, a promise that will never go away. That if we place our faith in you, the king, the author, that you have complete control and you resurrected from the dead and, and we are promised that same trajectory when we place our faith in you. And we're promised resurrection in a place where weeping and pain and fighting and disease is gone. So Father, please help us to loosen our grip Help fear to loosen its grip on us. Help us to place our hope in you and you alone, the man who has control over the wind and the waves, the king. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you guys for being here. I want to remind you that we don't have an in-person gathering next week. We'll be all online. So I'll look forward to looking at all of you through that thing right there next week, and then we'll see you the week after that. Love you guys, thanks. You will be